Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You've got to Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 196 of Getting It Out Podcast. That was Pleasant Living with Father's Day off of their 2013 demo, which later became a 7-inch on 8389 Records. And the guy that you heard singing in that song, that was me. That's the big surprise. That's the big reveal. The truth is I was listening to that 7-inch earlier today, well, on Spotify in my car. Oh, by the way, I don't mean to brag, but that's been on Spotify for about eight years and uh, one of the songs is over 1,500 plays. So yeah, I mean, not to big time you, but we're a pretty big deal at this point. The rest are still in that negative, uh, not negative, but under 1,000 area where you don't get a number. It just tells you it hasn't hit 1,000 yet, and I think that's pretty funny. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, I was just listening to it earlier, and I thought, you know what? I'm sharing that again. I haven't done that in a while. So there it is. That was my band from 2013. And uh, if you want a 7-inch, I still have several of them. I'll forever feel bad for Dom at A389 for spending the money to put this thing out. But I'm always going to be thankful that he did. It's a cool thing to have, whether it went over well or not. Okay, anyway, speaking of things that do go over well, on this episode, I've got an interview with Mike Musilli of Long Island's Become One. Earlier this year, they released a record on new morality zine called Subsidence. And we're going to talk all about that in Long Island, and all sorts of other things, and you're going to love it. So, let's do it. Check it! Make family out of friends, make friends out of enemies! Peace to my family, make friends till they bury me! All the places we've been, we're never sitting it out! We begin! 
Okay, so I just made a mistake. Uh, it's a mistake you're all familiar with, I'm sure. It's a common mistake that billions of people have made over the years. I got McDonald's for dinner. I was in South Philadelphia. I had a long drive ahead of me. I figured, better eat now. And there's only a couple spots I can stop before I get on the turnpike or before I get on 76 and the turnpike. There's just nowhere to stop between there and home, basically. And it's an almost two-hour drive, so I thought, I'll get something. I went to, you tell the truth, I tried to go to, to Wendy's first. There's a Wendy's right there off of Columbus Avenue in Philadelphia. And uh, it's across, or it's in the same area as like an Ikea and such, you know. So it's, so I got to consider that upscale. To, to be truthful, Wendy's has just sold me with their commercials lately on how they have new and improved french fries. That's enough. If I'm going to go uh, get some fast food, which I very rarely do, I'm going to try these new french fries. Because who doesn't love french fries? So I tried to. I went to the Wendy's drive-thru, I pulled into the drive-thru, and I sat at the speaker, and nothing happened. Nothing at all. I just sat there. And me, just being the type of guy I am, very passive in some situations, I continued to sit there. And then eventually I thought, something's wrong. I'm going to do a loop. So I did a loop. I drove past the inside of the Wendy's, and I could see they were definitely open. People were being served. So I went around again, and there was now a car in front of me in the drive-thru. And they pulled up and somebody answered them at the drive-thru box and they said, you got to come inside. So me being how I am, I'm not going inside. All right. I think that's the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing right now. I think the drive-thru is the preferred method. Looked like a new place. I don't know what the problem was, but I wasn't sticking around for it. I knew there was a McDonald's down the street, so I got out of there and went there. That's a mistake. We all know it's a mistake when we do it. We know it's not going to go over well, but we try sometimes. The weaker ones, like myself, we try. I pulled up to McDonald's. I said I'll have a uh, double cheeseburger with no pickle. That's standard. No pickle should no pickle should be the way the sandwiches are served. I would prefer. So I say that, and I say I'll take a I'll take a medium fry, and then you know what? I'll have a milkshake too, a vanilla milkshake, because here's the problem: if I get a soda, that's it. First of all, I don't like soda that much. If I have a soda at home, oftentimes I'll have a, I'll go for a Coca Cola. I'll take two sips out of it, and then I go and dump it down the drain. That's true. That's very true. I don't like the way soda makes me feel. Um, I think I'm gonna. Sometimes I'll have a root beer, and I do like the way it tastes. But immediately afterwards, I feel terrible. So I know I'm going to feel probably about the same if I have a vanilla milkshake, but I'm going to really enjoy the milkshake. So so that's my trade-off there. Like, well, I could force my way through a soda that I'm probably not going to like very much, and I'll just suck it down because there's so much sugar in it and I'm a sugar freak. I won't be able to stop myself. Um, or I could have this delicious uh, whatever is in McDonald's milkshakes and uh, enjoy that and still feel relatively the same. So I did. And I got to tell you, it went as bad as I anticipated. I feel like shit now. I feel terrible because I ate that crap. It doesn't matter how many miles I ran today. I'm going to need to run at least 20 miles this week to reverse what that meal just did to me. I'm a little sad about it, but it's okay. Because I finally get to share with you this interview I did with Mike of Become One. Now, in full transparency, we did this interview quite a while back. I'm just now getting getting to, to revealing it to you. I might not have to tell you that. I don't know if, we, uh, if there's anything that dates it, other than the fact that we were talking very positively about Drew Maxey and Time of Pressure. And uh, since then, since this was recorded 
and since I've released it, they not only announced their breakup, but also had two shows and effectively broke up, I think just yesterday. I think that band is over. So we talked a lot about how good they are and how we love that Halfway Down record and the lyrics that Drew penned for it. And uh, that might be the reason why they broke up. They hit their height. How much higher can you go when two guys on a podcast that only a couple people will listen to talk about your band? That's a pretty big height in uh, hardcore, to be honest. That never happened to me in Pleasant Living. I can tell you that for sure. But uh, why don't I play you a song from Become One? A song off of Subsidence. This song is called Arrows Through the Eyes of God. And then listen to my conversation with Mike.
Yeah, what's up, man? How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, no complaints, man. I don't know if you just saw my last message that it was going to be like 8.05, but I uh, I had to finish the QAnon documentary on HBO. Oh. <laughs> Fascinating stuff that is, isn't it? It is. It's, it's very... I mean... I la- I was talking with friends of mine about it the other night, and they they get you know they're they're pretty liberal like myself, and they get but they get like upset by this stuff, but it doesn't upset me. It like make it's it's really funny to me, in like the oh, sad yeah, way. I you, think it's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. You know what I would like to know though is like so, and and I don't. I, I one thing I won't do is like give traffic to you know the four eight chan or Reddit message boards that those trolls inhabit. But I wonder like when that documentary came out and they purported to have found like the people that really started the QAnon thing, like are the, are, are the Q believers out there being like, that's definitely not them. That's not what it happened. That, you know what I mean? Like yeah. doubling down on denial, you know, <laughs> most likely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating study of psychology. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's a pretty, pretty simple uh, conclusion though, that they're, they're fucking crazy, but whatever. It's, it are, makes for yeah. uh, it makes makes it way more interesting, and it, you know it kind it of it kind of makes me and I, I I say this with a huge grain of salt, but it kind of makes me miss Donald Trump being president. It was just a lot more exciting than for, usually for you know in in worse ways, but uh, you know it's just oh I mean look there was a lot more to talk about yeah you know <laughs> exactly I don't know I don't know if I could totally fully say I miss him as president because he was you know i mean he he is an american endgame in and of itself but i'll agree i mean there's 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 hardly all that much to talk about at least in terms of like american political theater at the moment yeah 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 well i mean there's there's plenty of shit but anyway you are in long island are you from long island um yeah i mean i i grew up on long island i if we're gonna if we're gonna go with the full biological history, I was actually born in Colombia, um, and then I was adopted um, by my by my parents who are from Queens, um, and grew up on Long Island. So I can't say born and raised on Long Island, but I could certainly say raised on Long Island. Pretty close, but hey, all right. So so yeah. you've been there long enough to maybe be able to tell me why you are on Long Island and not in Long in Island. In and on. Yes, I, I, I've asked this plenty um, of times before, sure. I think, but yeah. It's... So I think for us, and I think this has to do with sort of the inadequacy of language, we would say you, you, don't, um, you don't stand in an island, you stand on an island, right? Whereas you're in a state because the state is more nebulous than the actual sort of literal body of land that it is. So we just say, yeah, you're on Long Island. But, like, it changes immediately. Like, you're not on Queens, you're in Queens. You're not right. on Manhattan, you're in Manhattan. <laughs> right. But you're just on Long Island. Yeah. No, that's, it's, the, that's the best I can offer for that. So I know it's semantic, but that's the best I can do. <laughs> that's fair enough. I mean, I, I don't have any arguments against it. But since you're also oh, in, in New York, you need to, we need to talk a little more geography. And you need to tell me what you consider to be the tri-state area. The tri-state area. Okay, well, what I would, I'll tell you what I think the tri-state area is versus what I'd like it to be. Okay. I think the tri-state area is New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Ooh. I would like the tri-state area to be New York, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut. I have a lot of love for the people 
of New Jersey and the New Jersey hardcore scene. But as a state, I think New Jersey is sort of the armpit of America. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. They, they, don't, they don't trust their citizens to make left turns. Pump There's gas. There's a lot of weirdness in Jersey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. We can't pump our own gas. It's like, come on, what are you guys doing down there? Enough is enough. <laughs> well, from what I understand, and we'll, 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 I'll get back to the tri-state thing in a minute, but the, the pump and gas is a, is a liability issue. It's a, they don't, that's why their gas is cheaper. From what, from what I'm told, I'm probably wrong. But what I'm told is because the gas are cheap. The gas is cheaper because the they don't have to pay insurance for people pumping their own gas. But I might just be spewing some bullshit facts that I heard sometime <laughs> when I was a kid. But that's, that that's, sounds like a New Jersey explanation for it. <laughs> it's very, it's very, uh, it's very <laughs> twisted in their favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It sounds like oh no, we're doing you all a favor, which they kind of <laughs> are. But at the same time, like. Give me the choice. If I want to pump my own goddamn gas, get away from me. Yeah, but are you supposed to tip those guys? I don't know. I don't get gas enough in New Jersey to know if I'm supposed to tip them. You know, that's a good point. I actually remember when I first when I first got a car, I would tip at full service stations even in New York just because, like, my father and grandfather would do that. But then I sort of stopped. And, you know, it's funny. I don't know if I've ever tipped someone in new jersey and frankly that's probably unfortunately because of my bias against new jersey not that any gas station attended in new jersey has done anything less than a great job but yeah right. so you don't tip either i don't know i don't i don't get gas there i don't think i think uh, I, I went to new jersey twice this summer maybe three times and i don't think i got gas there either time um i don't know i don't i don't remember maybe maybe that's not even is that even still a thing i don't know I, but i go to like southern new jersey like cape may um and uh, I don't oh, know. Beautiful area. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, all, for all the shit talk on New Jersey, and I do it all the time oh, totally. too. I do it all the time. But uh, I do. We, <laughs> I mean, that's where I went to vacation. It's the only place I went to the beach this year. You know, to New Jersey twice. Oh wow! So, yeah. But anyway, but back to the tri-state thing. Yeah. I live in Pennsylvania, right? And I lived in Baltimore as well, uh, which, as you might know, is in Maryland. It was, but most people just call and it. I, Baltimore. I, I, <laughs> I do indeed know that it's in Maryland. Since we're big, yep. since I'm big. Inner Harbor. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and um, both of those states include themselves in a version of the tri-state area, too. And uh, Which would be what? what? Is this like a Pennsylvania, Maryland thing? It'd be like, I think, if you're in Maryland, I think you might say you're in the tri-state area, and it would be like um, Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania. Or, oh, that's not bad. Or Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania thinks we're in it no matter what. Like, it doesn't matter what states you include. It can be Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware. Um, it can. It it's usually includes New York, though. But it, but it's funny because we can't like the fucking tri-state area can't be nine states, right? It cannot. <laughs> no, because then you know what you're actually doing. One, we have a math problem, right? You can't have nine states in the tri-state area. That's exactly but then right. also, now we're just biting on fucking New England, which is like, what is that, five or six states just clumped around Massachusetts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a very confusing area. Try not to go up there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. But anyway, so what, what, I was, what my questions about Long Island were getting mm-hmm. to is, uh, is that Long Island has a very, um, very well-known... I would say at least a very well-known punk and hardcore scene and sound. Even when did you yeah. when did you first start getting involved in that scene? 
Sure. Um, so my first like real underground hardcore show on Long Island was in 1995. Uh, went to go see a buff. Well, every I, I would imagine you know this band. Went to go see 25 to Life. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. With, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, went to go see 25 to Life with Tension, Overthrow, and a bunch of other bands at this venue called the Roxy. Mm-hmm. Um, out east on Long Island. And up to that point, really, I was sort of like um, a punkish 120 minutes type of kid yeah. where, um, you know, not having a bunch of friends uh, for, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth grade, I just sort of found myself enveloped in music and, um, you know, sort of picked up. Uh, bands from, you know, watching 120 Minutes and stuff. And then I went to go see Rancid, The Bouncing Souls, and H2O in Manhattan in, like, late 1994. Um, And I'd seen other, like, you know, punkish shows. I saw Green Day at at a huge venue and stuff like that. But the the Rancid, Bouncing Souls, H2O show, for as, you know, corporate as some people might think it was, at that time in late 94, it was still, like, I mean... Toby from H2O was walking the the line, giving out flyers. Rick to Life was inside, giving out flyers, which is actually how I came across the um, show they were playing with Overthrow, who I ended up being friends with. But so, like, it was sort of a, a typical 90s kid's trajectory, you know what I yeah. mean? You, you get into the Nirvana grunge thing, realize you kind of like the sort of guitar, start vibing on, like, MTV 120 Minutes, and... You know, and, you know, it's interesting with sort of like the um, the Long Island sound. Having started going to shows like proper underground hardcore shows in Long Island in 95, um, you know, the sound was in place. But I think the better part of the Long Island scene was still very much playing little brother to New York hardcore. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, I mean, it's, it's an impossibly uphill battle, uh, you know, we know that, you know, D.C. And, and Cali and New York are these sort of original hotspots of, of punk and hardcore. But the mythology that follows the New York hardcore scene, it's like being on Long Island, you live in the shadow of that. It's like, you know, it's it's impossible to almost carve out your own niche. And especially, you know, one of the things that I always thought about, especially when I when I got really, really into hardcore, it's like, you know, bands like Warzone and Cro-Mags and Agnostic Front and Murphy's Law and Bad Brains are, are I, I love those bands, but it would be ridiculous of me to say that lyrically I could, especially at 15, 16 years old, that I could relate to like what they were talking about, you know, yeah. survival of the streets and, and street justice and, you know, uh, last warning and all that. It just, it, I mean, I was a kid in suburbia. It didn't what spoke to me was the sort of thematic violence and anger and unrest of it. But like on an, on a sort of lyrical level, it was like, I, I'd be faking it if I said like, that was a reflection of my life. And I think what really started to happen on Long Island around 1997 was um, the rise of a band called Silent Majority. Mm-hmm. Now they're not like, they're not the prototype Long Island hardcore band. You have bands like Crumb Suckers and certainly Mind Over Matter that came before them. But Silent Majority in Long Island, on Long Island, were the, 
by that time they were the band it was it was just the sound that i think made sense for what it meant to be a suburban hardcore kid in our area the lyrical content reflected the sort of angst and countercultural aspects of hardcore in general but it was, I mean, Silent Majority was telling the story of what it meant to be a suburban hardcore kid mm-hmm. living in the shadows of New York City. And I think when they put out uh, what would really be their only proper full-length life of a spectator, um, that, changed, that changed the game on Long Island. That was sort of, that was the line in the sand, the flag was put down, and it was like, yes. We might be New York Hardcore's little brother, but we have our fucking sound. We know what our fucking identity is. And we don't have to fucking pretend that we're some streetwise motherfuckers. We, we, Silent Majority gave everyone that was to come after that the license to be exactly who we wanted to be. And I think you saw, people saw that very quickly. So, I mean, Silent Majority had been around proper for like, if I want to, if, if I'm getting my dates right, I think 89 to about 2001. But when you look at what happened on Long Island, 2000 and beyond, you know, brands like Brand New, Taking Back Sunday, The Movie Life, The Reunion Show, bands that got huge, Glastra, those bands don't exist. They do not exist without Silent Majority. And then I think on a more sort of grassroots hardcore level, bands like uh, The Backup Plan, This Is Hell, Crime and Stereo, those bands that sort of at that moment, Thieves and Assassins, um, that waved more of the Long Island hardcore flag, similarly, do not exist without Silent Majority because they sort of gave that sort of tacit green light to be like, yo, we're fucking suburban hardcore kids. This is what our experience is, and this is what we're rolling with. So it was, it was fascinating to see that too because also you had bands that emulated the New York hardcore sound you know, prior to that, you know, VOD doing their thing was a very heavy New York hardcore sound. Neglect, I mean, facsimile of the New York hardcore sound. Tension, a very New York hardcore sound. But Silent Majority was like, all right, so yeah, we're suburban kids that are going to, you know, write songs in our parents' basement about what we know um, and what our experience is. And I think that when you when people hear about or talk about now, 20, 20 25 years later, what the distinct Long Island hardcore sound is, it it is it is very much traceable back to silent majority. Yeah, and of course I can't argue with any of that. I think you you <laughs> sum that up extremely well. And uh, obviously, as a person who was there for it, but but the uh, but the the for people who might not know what those bands sound like, which I, I, th- yeah. I think most people who listen to this would. Um, but it, the, it was like. You know, like the bands you mentioned that were from Long Island, but kind of played the more New York hardcore, like the Neglect, the VOD, the Tension with the yeah. Asterisk. Um, th- that was like yeah, the boy. <laughs> the <laughs> that tech. was that was like the uh, that's that's the heavier version of Long Island hardcore, right? That's not what people think about when they think about Long Island hardcore. And, uh, and no, no, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, I mean, there's some there's something there now. I think there was a bit of a revival with that. Um, sort of with like King Nine and Backtrack yeah, uh, yeah. and Hangman, you know, who, who openly sort of cite those bands as influences. So there is, there is something to that. But I think, you know, 
nationally speaking, generally speaking, uh, I think the more the vibe is a lot far more melodic what people expect to come out of Long Island. Right, right. Um, so when when did you yourself start getting involved with actually playing in hardcore bands? Um, so playing started somewhat begrudgingly, actually. I mean, I had been more of a kid that sort of took the route of like, I'm going to make zines and book shows. And so from about 17 to about 20, that's really more of what I was focused on. I had some really like I think maybe I was 16 at the time. I had like a really shitty... Are we allowed to curse on this? Yeah. Absolutely. And we already have a bunch, so okay. you're really late with that. Yeah, I know. I know. I, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, All right, no, cool. Um, yeah, when I was like 15 or 16, I had like some really shitty zine called Raging Youth Fanzine. And then um, when I was in college, I had a fanzine, Switchblade fanzine, and I, was, I would always book shows and stuff like that. But um, my best friend, Alex, sort of took the musical route and... Um, he had played in a couple of bands and then one day showed up at my house with a bass and was like, yo, we're going to start a punk band. You need to learn how to play bass. Here's a bass. Here are a couple of clash tabs. Figure this out. And that's literally, <laughs> um, sort of how I started. And I was like, all right, I guess, all right, you know, sounds like cool to be in a band. And so he and I played in a band called To Kill For. Um, which, you know, quite frankly, was a really crappy sort of rancid Millen Collin ripoff band. We were pretty horrible. Um, and it was, you know, it was what you would expect the, from a bunch of knuckleheads just out of high school. Yeah. Um, and right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but then so like we broke that band up, I want to say around 2000, 2001. And then Alex and I... Um, were headed up to a show a buddy's band was opening for murphy's law in upstate new york and actually a kid from our town this kid christian also from the levittown Wanta area where we all grew up he happened to be rolling with them too and so when they were all loading in and sort of doing all their sound check and stuff um the three of us were just sitting in the van and alex was like you know what we gotta do bro we gotta like start a political hardcore band and i was like yo that's sick and then this kid, Christian, who we both sort of generally knew, was just like, yo, I'd sing if you guys are down. Um, and so really that was when we formed Crime and Stereo, um, which would sort of be the band that I think, um, you know, became more of my musical imprint uh, on Long Island, certainly through like the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And so I did Crime and Stereo with those dudes from about, 2001 2002 to about 2008 so through the first you know proper the first two full lengths uh they were gracious enough to give me credit on the third full length um but i i didn't really do any touring off that um because you know i i sort of learned the hard way touring wasn't for me i also sort of learned the hard way that uh while i really love going to hardcore shows and sort of being on stage i'm not a very good musician um, and as that band, as Carmen Stereo became much better musicians and wanted to expand the sound beyond sort of like a melodic hardcore band, um, while I wouldn't admit it at the time, I'm happy to admit it now. I just, I just couldn't keep up, man. I, I just <laughs> didn't have the chops. To, I, I didn't, um, I didn't have the chops to keep up. And so, like from about 2008 till like 2016, it was really just I sort of took a back seat to actively playing music and just sort of like 
going to shows and hanging out and then sort of enjoying it from, I guess, more of like an adult perspective. It's weird. Like, you know, being an adult in the real world is not the math doesn't translate to being an adult in the hardcore scene. I think if like you're 30 or over in the hardcore scene, you are like well into adulthood. Whereas like, you know, there are 30 year olds in the real world that are still like, you know, (laughs) hardly independent. So like, you know, when that happened, those sort of 10 years, 2000, all eight years, I guess, 2008, 2016 was just like, you know, just gonna, it it was a weird moment for me because, um, you know, a lot of my friends that had gone to shows stopped going to shows as so many people did. And then, um, my closest friends like Alice and Christian were still doing crime and stereo. So they weren't around much. And I think, um, one of the interesting things that I just resolved to myself was that like, if I want to go to a fucking hardcore show, I'm going to go and I don't care if I go by myself. And that sounds like that might sound trivial, but like that was a real sort of empowering thing that like, you know, I, I, I did it a couple times and basically realized one thing that like, I, I love about the hardcore community is like, you go to a show by yourself, you're not going to hang out by yourself. You go, you go through those doors or whatever the venue is, and there's going to be people there that are happy to see you. And I think that really sort of helped me stay active in hardcore, despite the fact that fewer and fewer of my sort of neighborhood friends were interested in it. Um, but then in 2016, uh, I went to go see my buddy's band become one. Um, and they had a fill in bass player. And my buddy Ed, who's the guitarist of that band, who I've been friends with for years, um, you know, I kind of, I was kind of fucking with him. I was like, bro, you a little fucking insulting, dude. Like, you know, I know how to play bass. You're not going to fucking ask me to be in the band. And it, and it was a joke, but he was like, wait, are you serious? I was like, yeah, I guess I am serious. Um, and so, you know, after that little conversation, I joined up with Become One and been playing with those dudes since, yeah, around 2016, 2017, maybe. Right, right. All right. So, hey, yeah. well, of course, that, that's who we're going to talk about, the band we're going to talk about here. But I want to backtrack oh, yeah. a little bit. Um, and sure. I want to say that one of the, what I found that I loved about going to shows alone, and I did it a ton when I was a kid, like when I was 16, and nobody I knew liked hardcore, and I just went by myself. But and then rediscovered as I was over, you know, into my 30s. Mm-hmm. Was that the best, to me, the best thing about going to shows alone? It's just leaving. You just you can just leave. <laughs> like, there's, it's a very pra- it's a very practical thought. You can yeah, just go. Like there's no yeah. waiting around for to say goodbye to 300 people if you yeah. don't want to. You can just leave because you know how those yeah. weird show goodbyes are. That takes forever. Oh um, my god! It's never. It's like trying to leave a fucking wedding. Man. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's but I gotta tell you, dude. I'll 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 say this, man. I think that's like really resilient of you to go to shows by yourself when you were a teenager. I don't know if I would have had the wherewithal to keep up with that. I think one of the things that made it so easy for me to go to shows as a kid was like, I had a, I had a pack of friends in high school, a good six or seven of us that would always be wanting to go to shows. And I think if it was just me, I don't know how that would have turned out. So, well, like I, mean, I, I, I recruited, I recruited kids, you know, friends of mine that that maybe liked punk or something. And I'd be like, "We'll come to this hardcore show," but for the or sure. or the ones who also liked new metal, I'd be like, "We'll come, come with yeah. me to go see Desperate Measures in a park building," you know, like, hey. and that would never work, you know, they never stuck around. But 
So right. I didn't care. I would just go by myself and smoke Swisher Sweet cigarillos between every single band because I was 16 and, you know, like, <laughs> like an yeah. idiot. Like, I didn't know what I was doing there anyway. But, uh, but yeah, but anyway, the uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that, like, uh, Crime and Stereo, who I didn't know you were in Crime and Stereo until earlier today when I was just doing my little due diligence research. And uh, I love Crime and Stereo, especially yeah. those those records that you're talking about being on. Um and I, it made me think, when was the first time I saw Crime in Stereo? And I remember it because I remember not <laughs> I remember not knowing who the hell you guys were and just going outside and playing Hacky Sack in like 2001. So, <laughs> so, Fair enough. Was it in Wilkes Bar? No, it was in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. It was Lebanon. at, a, it was at okay. a show called, and I, looked at, I saw the flyer recently, it was called a 20 Minute Fest. And it was like, it was just in this big, big gym. And like, there was bands would play like one after the other and they would only play for 20 oh, minutes yeah. each. And it was like, I don't know who else was on it. Like Squirt Gun. It's like a band I remember being on the flyer. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, I, but I think it was probably poorly attended and uh, probably was a shitty show. Uh, but that's where I remember Crime and Stereo the first time. And then I saw you guys a shitload, of course, through the 2000s. Um, that Trouble Stateside oh, record, I love. But yeah. Bro, Pennsylvania was like, Oh, you guys showed us a ton, a ton of love. I remember like playing Stroudsburg on the demo and then probably play the champ. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but then, I mean, Wilkes Bar was like, Oh, the, what was it? The Met Cafe? Was that, was that Wilkes Bar? Well, that was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. They went through quite that a few. That was one of them. Yeah. Um, Bob Mack, uh, Alex Russin, um, Dan from Cold World, Foster, who's down in Virginia. Now, those dudes were like, I, I think it was Bob Mack who first put us on in like the Wilkes Bar scene, but it was like, dude, we, for, for a good while there, going to Wilkes Bar was better for us than playing Long Island. And it was like, <laughs> well, that's like it, when Wilkes, it was, that's it like was when Wilkes Bar was killing it. That, that's when they were like the place oh, to bro. be. Yeah. Oh, Posse Numbers Fest. I mean, those dudes took care of us, man. And it was like, that was a cool vibe because I think, um, you know, there was, you know, in the early days of crime and terror, especially leaving Long Island, calling yourself a hardcore band. Some, some states would be like, you guys aren't a fucking hardcore band. You know what I mean? You're not playing fucking heavy breakdown shit. And like Pennsylvania didn't give a shit about that. You know, like, um, always a great time in, in Philly and Wilkes bar, even, you know, what's one of the best places that, especially in the early days of crime and terror, we would never miss on a tour. Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. It really? Just, I, I kid you not, dude. This kid, Chad, um, had reached out to us, seeing if we could play. He was trying to, like, set up a show. I want to say, like, his, in his high school gymnasium. <laughs> um, and, like, we were just like, you know what? At, at that point in our lives and at that point in the band, like, if we could play it, we were going to fucking play it. Even if it, even if it was going to be a money loss, we were just like, fucking, let's get in the band and do this. And it was such a fascinating thing because, like, it wasn't a, it was it clearly wasn't a hardcore scene the way like, you know, Erie has a hardcore scene or Philly does or Wilkes Bar does. What it was was just like the young people of Punxsutawney psyched that a band not from there was going to play. Yeah. And it became like if dude if we were doing a U.S. tour that had us heading west towards Ohio there's no way we weren't stopping in punks of 20 to play such a fat it was such a just such a fat i mean i'm still in to this day dude i still talk to that dude chad that booked us there every once in a while it was just a, an amazing guy but yeah man that's a, that's was, a, was 
That's awesome. Yeah. That, that's, I've never heard anybody uh, ride for Punxsutawney like that. So, fuck yeah, <laughs> man. All right. So, so you, you, you of course mentioned um, joining Become One, and yeah. as I understand it, though, and from doing just the slightest bit of research, Become One was yeah. around for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. What, what's so, the history of become like the brief history of become one and sure. how you got here now? So the interesting thing about become one is like they they were a band around ninety seven ninety eight, and so um, I met up with the I met those guys through the singer Sean. He went there's two there's two high schools in the town that we all grew up in, and he went uh, to the other high school of the one that I went to. But we sort of became friends just because it was like from the same town and we like hardcore. And he had joined this band that at the time was named Standing A Count, um, but they soon changed the name. And then so like it was crazy because from like 98 to about 2001, like not being in a band, I was like, yo, this band is sick. I would, you know, ride out to all the Become One shows when they play Jersey or whatever. I'd roll with them and became super tight with Ed, the guitarist. Um, but they always had a problem, even back then. They could not keep a, a, a bass player. I mean, there were times where I literally watched them play without a bass player. Um, and so they went from about 98 to about 2003-ish and then called it quits. Tried some other iterations with, like, a couple of members here and there doing stuff. But then it, they went dormant. And around 2014, I want to say... Sean reached out to the dudes just to see if they wanted to like maybe jam, you know, it had been a good 10 years, um, just to like, you know, play hardcore again. And, um, it just so happened that the, the bass player that had been with them in the last, uh, the last time they were a band, Matt Wargus, he. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He had actually come down with stage four brain cancer. Um, and so the idea of jamming for them became a bit more of an imperative because Matt wanted his uh, young kids to be able to see him play, um, you know, before before he, he would pass away. Yeah, And so... It took a bit of a heavier term, but I think, um, you know, that happening for them, it went from sort of that lighthearted, let's see what happens with jamming to with what was going on with Matt. Um, I think they sort of perhaps realized, uh, you know, what it is to have music in your life. And so they played a show with Matt um, playing and his family came out and then he unfortunately passed away soon thereafter. 
And they just sort of, you know, Nevio, Ed, and Sean just were sort of resolved to like, you know what, like, let's 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 keep doing this. Um, and so they did, and they sort of had a couple fill-ins. A guy that recorded on the 2017 EP, um, and then I came into the band just after, just as that EP was coming out. Um, and yeah, and it's like I said, it was really just because I was fucking with my old friend Ed being like I'm a bass player and you don't have a bass player and I'm a little insulted that you didn't invite me in <laughs> well that's a that's such a I mean it's just a sad story but it's but anyway they handled that would have been I think it, it, it could have like I can totally see saying alright we're going to put this thing to bed but also doing it this way we're going to carry this on because we realize how important it is I think it's a I think it's a it's a it's a it's cool. I, I like that. I enjoy that. Yeah, um, I think so too. I think there's something inspirational in them doing that. Right, right. Just keep moving. Yeah. But the, the the when I listen to the two releases from what is it like '97 and 2000, maybe. Yeah. They sound a lot more like your recent release, the Substance. Yeah. That record <laughs> in between, that 2017, yeah. that sounds yeah. more like With- what I expect out of Long Island. Yeah, so that was that was the band's identity crisis. Okay. Um, yeah, Transfiction. Um, I think really what sort of happened there was um, guys had sort of, while they wanted to get back to playing music, what they were actually listening to was sort of no longer reflected of what the band had sounded like a decade before. Mm-hmm. And so some of them were a little bit more into the melodic punk thing. And they decided to take a leap and give that a shot. And I think, um, you know, I applaud any band that's willing to sort of see, you know, what their musical elasticity is. Um, And I think it's a good EP, but I think one thing that we all learned as a unit from that is we know what sound we are best with. Yeah. Um, And Subsidence was a decided move, not necessarily back to a sound, but it was a move to realign ourselves with what every member of that band does well. Um, and yeah, so you hit the nail on the head. Subsidence certainly is much more aligned with the uh, late 90s, early aught stuff than, than Transfiction. Transfiction sort of stands out as the, you know, we don't know what, what we want to do right now other than release music. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. When, I, when I listened to it, I had to, I checked again to make sure it was... <laughs> The same band because I because the way I yeah. f- went through all this was, was subsidence first, and then back to the beginning, and that you know what right. I mean, and then came up through yep. from ninety seven two thousand two thousand seventeen. By the time I got to that that transfiction, I was I, I was I genuinely like, oh, what do, I guess this is mislabeled, but you know, but whatever. Yeah. I, I, I don't you're, mean. you're you're not the first you're not the first person to say that to be like. <laughs> Is that like you guys? What was going on with that? No, but I mean, I think the honest answer really is is that um, they tried to expand the sound in a way that reflected what they were listening to at the moment. And you know, I re- I, re- I respect not trying to stay in the phone booth, and yeah, I also absolutely. respect the idea of learning from the experience. Yes, yes, and and I think it makes it even better that that you that you come out of that and you were able to recapture so well on subsidence what was done so well on those earlier releases like it like you, you didn't you get, you. they didn't lose anything in fact i no, think no, it's no, no, in no. fact i think it's better um and and to, to go back what we were what we were talking about before 
it's also a bit heavier than what I expect coming out of Long Island, and uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but maybe not maybe not heavier is the word, a bit more aggressive, or at least it sounds that way. Yeah. Um, lyrically, it doesn't. I don't, I don't know how much involvement, or if any, you had there lyrically, but it doesn't sound. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't sound. Uh, I mean, it sounds smart, is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't sound like a hardcore record in that it sounds smart. <laughs> We appreciate that. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you, you know, I, I, so even going back to like the 97 and 2000 demo, um, even the, the heavy that was going on on Long Island that time, Become One still was a little bit apart from that. I think, um, you know, Ed, who writes all of the music, I, I've said this before, and, and it's just I think I, I continue to say it simply because it's true and it, it, it gives good context to it. Uh, he is in terms of Long Island and, and Long Island guitarists will tell you this. He is one of the best guitarists to come off the island because he does not feel in any way, shape or form inclined to have to box himself into any sort of song structure, whether it's like, Oh, we got to follow, you know, a horse hop riff with a breakdown or, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to have an ambient card. Ed is going to write exactly what Ed, what comes to him. Um, and I think with subsidence, uh, he had made a decision coming off the last record that he was going to get gloomier and heavier and more complex than perhaps the band had ever been. And I can tell you this, having only played in crime and stereo in terms of recording and like a band that had any sort of catalog, the four songs that he wrote for subsidence are some of the most complex songs that I've ever had to learn. Um, Because it's just like, there's not a lot of repetition and it's really like, there's a moodiness to it, and mm-hmm. it's, I, I and I appreciate that that you say it's good, and that even lyrically you say it's smart. Because I think another thing that we really were conscious of with Substance is that like we're not going to pretend that we aren't a bunch of forty-something-year-old dudes playing in a hardcore <laughs> band. We're not, right. gonna, you, you know what I mean? Because yeah, like yeah. you know, cat in the hat lyrics don't work for us. Uh, we're not going to talk about being upset by you know, the friend that stabbed us in the back and all this stuff, because that's not, that's not important to us in a way that it perhaps was when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Sean, the, the, our, our singer, he writes all of the lyrics, but, um, you know, he, he is an extremely clever lyricist in that he has a great way with writing songs that people can apply in their own way, but also, in my estimation, really have some really powerful lines to them if that makes sense yeah and i think I, there, there's a like a lyrical approach to it that i appreciate and like the, the like the, the way you talked about how the the more the lyrics you can identify with when you're younger don't necessarily work so much when you're older and that's why <laughs> i've come to appreciate certain uh singers lyrics lyricists and hardcore like uh well you know like drew from time and pressure or uh Brian McTernan uh-huh. on that last Be Well record. Um, Be Well, the, yeah. The, uh, one of my favorites, Joe from Wisdom and Chains. He's just smarter with you know when when you yep. when you read him. Um, yep. And and like like you said, it's not. I don't. I'm I'm 37. I don't want to. I don't want to hear about uh, kicking someone's ass unless it's like <laughs> unless it's like done perfectly. You know what I mean? Like it's got to be yeah, like, right, 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 right. If it's if it's done perfectly, then I you know. It's great, but the, uh, I don't need to hear about you and your crew. Yeah, no, so, I don't yeah, give a shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I just no. mowed my lawn Dude, while listening to Suburban. Yeah. 
Drew from Time and Pressure, man. That dude's giving, literally, that dude's giving English and literature lessons in his lyrics. Yeah. And I think what's crazy about what he does with that is you can take those lyrics at face value and absolutely love them. But if you get some of the references, like Between the World and Me and Theseus and like these deep seated, like literary and linguistic references, it's, it's only even more impressive that like he, he can present that to you and be like, oh, these are sick lyrics. And then you're like, oh. He's referencing a James Baldwin poem, referencing, you know, uh, uh, an ancient Greek character. It, it's like it, it's super impressive. Well, see, not be, for nothing, Time and Pressure. Being a blockhead. One, one of the best hardcore bands right now. Oh, I agree. I, I think they have one of the best hardcore yeah. records that came out this year. But be, being a yeah, being an idiot like I am. Like I don't even I don't know those references. I know that he's reference. Like I know that he's referencing something. Like I, I, I'm aware yeah, yeah. that he's there's something that he's saying that I'm and there's good, there's there's good wordplay in there, and I vaguely recognize it. But I just also know on the surface level, it's just better than most things that are being yelled at me in my headphones. You know, lyrically, yeah. One, dude, one hundred percent, bro. Yeah, couldn't agree more. <laughs> and what what, what the. One of the things that brings me to the lyrics is specifically the song "False Operative," which I never—I've never read the lyrics for any of uh, Become One songs, and I've only, mm-hmm. I can only pick out what I hear. But there seems to be like a there's something in that song that's that's I don't know, just a line or two that I don't know makes sense to me in a way that I don't even know if that's what you guys mean, you know? Sure. And uh, and and what, are you, I, what, are you, what are you thinking? Uh, what's the the line about being offended? Oh, um, uh, you really offended it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's and it's just like I don't know. I just I, I appreciate it, and that there's more to listen to in your band than just yeah the music because yeah you know we've, we thank we, you like like yourself having been doing this for quite a long time. It takes yeah. a lot more than just some cool riffs to 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 be genuinely invested yeah i mean yeah man <laughs> look one thing that you and i could probably agree on having gone to shows for so long listen if this was just about the music hardcore wouldn't be around anymore right, right? i mean it, we we need innovation we need other things um and you know what's interesting about false operative is that um you know it is a, it's a, it's an interpretive song but it's it's sort of a it's that song for us really sort of came out of the climate on the country in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, you know, it's, it, it's not, it, it's, it's not necessarily just about a singular group, but just like, you know, for us, it was, you know, when that, that chorus comes on and, you know, you're really offended and you just want to be and like, you know, this idea where it's like, People just get harder, bro. Like, be tougher, man. And yeah. I'm not saying that from some knucklehead perspective, here, no. but like, every time you see some something on the news or something that you read that you disagree with, that doesn't mean that you need to take to social media and cry about it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, thicken up that skin. You know what Good. I mean? Well, I'm glad I interpreted because, it the right way because that's that's the way that's the way I interpret it, and that's the way I I feel yeah. as well. And we have uh, sorry, I cut you off. I know, but we have you know, no worries. We have. Uh, kids of certain ages here in my house of uh, 14 and 8 where we have to mm. we have to say these things to them like you you can you cannot like what somebody said but you cannot let this like you cannot let this yeah. ruin your day like 
No, people are man. allowed. That's allowed. not the. Yes, it's not. That's not worth your energy, man. And like, to me, I think, you know, one of the, one of the great things about finding hardcore is it's like, look, man, we we all find hardcore. I think the overarching thing is that everyone who who not just finds hardcore but stays in it is because you realize that the general world at large is a complete hellscape. It sucks. It has always sucked. It has very little interest in taking care of us or, or the, the people that find themselves in the hardcore scene. But when you're there, it's also not like it should ever be some sort of like echo chamber of the same sentiments. And yeah. look, I'm not saying like, you know, let's, you know, that, that's, I'm not qualifying idiots that are racist or bigots or misogynists. Those people deserve to get their heads stopped. Sure. Um, but the idea that now people are almost given credibility and gravitas when they're just like, well, I'm offended at this and I, I don't even have to think it through. I don't have to know the backstory. I don't have to consider differing or multiple perspectives. I'm just upset. And that's the beginning, middle of end of it. Yo, that's soft. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> the world sucks. The world doesn't give a fuck about you. And if that's your stance to so many things, whatever your perspective is, you're not going to do well here. Right, and I, I I totally agree. And then I always like to back it up, or you know, saying things like that, back it up with. And by the way, I voted for Joe Biden by mail, so like, <laughs> <laughs> like so, so don't yeah, so bro. don't so don't act like I'm being some fucking you know, some fucking conservative oh, please, ass. Like you know, just just let, let, dude, uh, come on. The the <laughs> softest, the, the, some of the softest motherfuckers in this country are these idiots that are. 1776 cosplaying like there's some uber patriot it's like bro you haven't read the first paragraph of the constitution you couldn't name the first five amendments get away from me you know what i mean you're you're you're, you're who we're talking about so yeah i i agree with you on that too bro nice well well i, I again I, I really like this record and and it's only it's only four songs but is the did i read correctly the cd version is more than that yeah, so the CD version, um, shout out to Nick from New Morality Zine for being the greatest and, and being down to put it out on his label. Um, we wanted to have something more than just the four songs on the physical format, so we chose four songs from the demo days to sort of fill it out. So it's interesting, like, sort of to bring the conversation back to sort of how you had uh, listened through some of the discography and made that link between Subsidence and those demos. Uh, we figured... If, if we have the option, excuse me, uh, we we would put four songs from the demos to give a little context of like how the band started to where the band is at. Um, and so, yeah, if you get the physical CD, you'll get eight songs, not just the four from Subsidence. Nice, nice. Well, and, and Numerality Zine, the label, as I like to call them, um, where, where did that relationship come from? Um, so uh, Nick and I sort of knew each other from like when I was playing in Crime and Stereo, just like casual chill dude thing and then when i had started maybe about six years ago um started writing for punknews.org and then noecho.net um i forgot i forgot how the relationship kicked back up but i started um doing some like features and media stuff for some of the bands that he was putting out like did some stuff with life's question did some stuff with time and pressure um, and he and I just like sort of just became like friends through that. Like we would just like, he's also a teacher. And so like, you know, we'd be teacher nerds and like text each other about like state testing and like what you're reading in the classroom. Cause we're losers like that. <laughs> um, 
but he was just like he, he he you know it's funny i haven't i haven't seen him in probably 15 years physically yeah um and you know we we'd been super super chill for the last few years through me writing up stuff for new morality and frankly really loving what he did and he actually asked me to write some stuff for new morality the zine um <laughs> And then when Subsidence was done, when those four songs were in the can, um, you know, I kind of I kind of pulled a, a a move on him and was like, "Listen, bro, any chance whatsoever I could convince you to put this out on New Morality?" And you know, I knew that w- to me it felt a little icky to do just because I didn't want to put him in a bad spot. But I also personally was like this is the best thing this band has done and I would hate for us to just sort of put it out digitally and not have anything attached to it, which would be an even more uphill battle um, than it is even now trying to get some, uh, trying to get it out there. Yeah. And in true, you know, in true Nick fashion, he texted back and was like, bro, let's fucking do this. He didn't even bat an eye at it. He was, he was like, yo, I'm totally down. Here's what I'm thinking. Let's make this happen. And, he literally, I uh, no joke. I think I texted him at maybe like the second week, third week in June, and he had this. He had the CDs at my doorstep before our August uh, record release show, and wow. <laughs> that he made that hat. Yeah, dude. I mean, that dude truly. He's 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 an angel and the goat, man. I mean, he when he says he's going to help you out, it that's it's no fucking lie. So. Yeah, that that's how it ended up on New Morality, man. And we we really owe Nick a lot for for extending that that to us. That's very cool, and that, that actually answers one of the questions I was going to have for you: is, is how or if um, the pandemic affected the release of this at all? But it sounds like it got released in <laughs> in two months. So you know, but I, but I, well, as far no, as recording, you know, how did that work? Yeah, so the pandemic actually did affect us in that it sort of it initially slowed it. And then actually sped it up. So, you know, I mean, you're close to the East Coast. You know that, that you know, Corona came in generally through New York. So we were locked down first and hardest. You know, I, I remember. You guys, it's you, know, it was, you New Yorkers, you always got it. It's always you're the, the, the best, right? Nobody bro, did it as good I, as you guys. Nobody locked down better or harder <laughs> than New York. Bro, it's, it's, it's the conceit in New York, man. It's <laughs> yeah, New York or nowhere. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. But I'll yeah. tell you what, the, re- the reason I remember it uh, is because the world shut down the week my wife and I moved into our new house and it was like, we were like, is this really going to fucking happen? And not for nothing. Like I remember being on the phone with uh, the moving company that was supposed to bring our bed and they were like, nah, we can't do it. And we're like we need, we have no, we have nothing to fucking sleep on. Um, but so when, when the pandemic hit initially, obviously we, we went into like super hard lockdown. And then so we didn't practice for like three or four months and really all we were doing just to sort of, keep uh the band's morale up is we would have like a weekly zoom session not that we weren't playing instruments or anything, just like you know let's just talk shit to each other for an hour every week just so we sort of you know remind ourselves that we're in a band yeah um and then when we sort of got a handle on how to sort of appropriately and safely start meeting up um Ed hit the ground running. He so it, it, really what happened was while it slowed us as a band, he took that time to really round out the four songs. And so once we got back into our practice space, it was like okay, let's fucking let's get right in there. Um, and it was great, man. To be honest with you, Subsidence is the first thing that I've actually recorded 
in 15 years. Um, and we worked with this dude, Evan Perino, who's in a sick Long Island band called Heal, um, at his little studio. He was great. Um, and it was like a super fun time, man, because it was my first time recording with then really my first time recording with anyone other than Carmen Stereo in a meaningful way. Um, and we were, ex- dude, we were giddy on these songs just because like, it's like, as you said, like these are heavy songs and it was just, it just, we, we felt that vibe even just in recording. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you earlier and I forgot to mention it, but you said that sure. the, uh, these songs were more complex than anything you've done, but you yeah. also mentioned yeah. bowing out of crime and stereo kind of based on your lack of, well, I don't, I'm, I'll rephrase your lack of musicianship there did it was it difficult sure. for you to to play these songs or was it, was it just different um, or did you get better since the last time i think i got more mature so i think the one of the problems with prime and stereo was was that i was a knuckleheaded hardcore kid that was trying to hide his musical inadequacy by the idea that like we're a fucking hardcore band bro and we just got to go crazy on stage and it doesn't really matter how clean the sound is really part of that's true but the other part of it was is that like i just wasn't i wasn't doing what i needed to do as a as a bassist and that was practicing well and and understanding you know how to play the bass not just like okay you showed me how to play the song but i need to understand how to play the bass well um and uh i just sort of like you know having time to myself to mess around with the bass in between the time i left crime and stereo before i got to become one I, I got a little more technique oriented and um, whereas I was a sort of knuckleheaded 20 something year old that really didn't want to hear any good advice from the other members of crime and stereo who were much better musicians than me. And I should have taken their advice by time I got to become one. Um, I was much more naturally open to feedback and help and critique Um and I think also the relationship I have with Ed. So I've known Ed for 20 years through hardcore, but also Ed and I have trained in Muay Thai for about 15 years together. I've trained with him when he fought. He's trained with me and cornered me when I fought. And so having that dynamic, we, we talk, we literally talk about band practices, though we're going to hit pads in the gym. Like, all right, we're going to skill and drill this tonight. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And so like, having him mentor me in that sport also translated to him mentoring me into learning how to play a style of hardcore that I really wasn't used to. Just even like things of like, you know, where, how you're going to change your picking, your strumming method in a certain part in a song, not only to keep the music sounding good, but to sort of preserve your ability to get through the song. And, and just like small things that Ed was able to guide me through sort of made the the difficulty and the complexity of learning the songs interesting because yeah. it was like I'm I'm literally learning here. Oh, that's very cool. And it sounds like, um, and I, I think I find this with a lot of uh, a lot of people when they're older in bands is it sounds like you're enjoying this your time and become one more than you have in any other band. And I don't mean that you didn't have any fun, but it's but it seems like it's a different. It's a different uh, sense of enjoyment. It, it is, man. It, it very much is. And um, 
it amplifies in a weird way. It sort of amplifies my regrets about my time in crime and stereo because I was a real curmudgeon grumpy idiot when I should have really been a lot more grounded in what the fuck was happening. You know what I mean? Like, you know, doing U.S. tours, doing European tours, you know, kids in, you know, states I've never been to since loving our songs and me just being like, uh, you know... I expect more out of this. And I think in retrospect, I, uh, I wasted some of the time that I should have really held a little closer to my heart in crime and stereo. And it's sort of easy to romanticize that now, but I do think it's true. Yeah. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, uh, I, I, to say that I, to, to, if I were to sort of quantify my attitude when I was in crime and stereo versus my attitude that I'm in become one, I'm just, dude, I, to be honest with you, I'm just thankful that I'm, still in a fucking hardcore band and playing music at 42 you know what i mean like we're not a big band you know what i mean like we're not become one's not a huge draw on long island we're not a huge draw elsewhere we're we're playing new jersey on friday for the first time in years and we'll be in the middle of the lineup and we're thankful to play it um so it's not like there's any ego involved i think it's just yeah man i'm you know i'm i'm 42 i i i've you know made my compromise with having to live in the real world so it's it's a blessing to be playing in a hardcore band this, you know, this late in life. Well, that's great. And uh, it sounds like, again, that you enjoy it. The, the product you're putting out, or the product, I think you call it a product, but the songs you're putting out um, <laughs> on Subsidence are awesome. Um, I'm, I'm glad it came, you got it on my radar. Uh, for the band, even to look back to, it's just a, a become one, I don't know, well, it's been out now for August 6th, I think, was the official release date. How, yeah, has, it, how has it been little- received so far? Um, it's been, to be honest with you, we can't be happier because to give you a sense of, you know, how unknown we were, I think we had like eight monthly listeners on our Spotify, um, before the record came out. Um, and you know, at the high point about two weeks ago, we were up to 400 monthly listeners. Now we lost a, a bunch cause however the algorithms work or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was it, so you, you sort of have those statistics that make you feel good, but also, um, you know, just uh, I think it's been well received by people who we value as peers and people who I value as sort of um, the younger generation that that is sort of doing their thing. And to when it came out to get like a lot of texts from people that I really hadn't heard from in a long time. Um, saying that they really liked it and, you know, just sort of going to shows around that time and people being like, you know, it's sick. And not just like, oh, it's sick, but like literally referencing a song in a part where it's like, oh, fuck, you actually listened to this. Yeah, yeah. Um, That it it meant a lot, you know what I mean? Because, um, you know, unlike being in a band in your 20s where you have these expectations because you have the time and you have the resources to sort of say, well, fuck it. I'm not going to get a real job and I'm really going to focus on a band. We don't, we don't have, we don't have that. And so our expectations were, we're psyched to get these four songs recorded. And then we are super psyched that Nick and new morality Zine agree to put it out. And then to have positive feedback, um, from our peers and, and people in other bands and people reaching out. Um, it's, it's been really sort of affirming where it's like, you know, we're playing music because we we're moved to do it. But to know that people appreciate 
you know, the, the product that we've offered, uh, it's fucking sick, man. It's fucking awesome. Oh yeah, it is. And that's great. I'm glad, I'm yeah. glad it's going that well for you. Is there anything, yeah. um, currently on deck? I mean, I know this just came out and you guys are just probably getting back to playing shows, but is there, what's, what's in the near future for become one? So we actually have started writing a couple new songs. Not that like we feel any pressure to do that, but you know, it's always nice to sort of be progressing. Um, right now we're going to, it's weird. Like, so, um, with the, a lot of the, um, restrictions and lockdown stuff lifting, it was like the wild west with all these bands suddenly reflooding the touring circuit and shows booking up. So, um, we, we played our record release show, uh, in August with Typecast and it was, it was, a, a resounding success as we looked at it. It was, it was awesome. We sold a bunch of CDs and stuff. Um, we're playing Jersey on Friday. Uh, we're playing um, Brooklyn in October with Crime and Stereo, Koyo and Hangman celebrating the 15th anniversary of the Troubled State side, which will be kind of cool and meta for me, you know, opening for the band I used to be in. Yeah. Um, but those dudes, you know, the Crime and Stereo dudes have put on for us as soon as I got in that band, and, and I appreciate them with that. Um, in December, my wife and I are having a baby, so we've, <laughs> we've kind of like put shows on a little bit of pause there just because like the last thing I need is to be like, oh, sick, yeah, let's play Pennsylvania. And then it's like, well, actually, you need to get in this fucking car right now because your son's about, you know what I mean? Your son's on the way. Yeah, um, but, but it's, but it's punk to Tawny, is- so, you know, what's <laughs> what would you rather do? Punk to Tawny? Or- <laughs> careful my wife will hate me because she knows how she knows how much i love playing hardcore shows. um but so you know i think in the new year nick and i had talked about maybe we could try to get like a cool little like new morality zine weekend together because he's got a bunch of bands now in this area with standstill on long island prospect in new jersey uh broken vows in connecticut so maybe we could do like a cool package weekend you know new york philly and uh connecticut to to uh, do something like that, maybe get Sunstroke out there on that too. Um, so, you know, I think um, we have those shows lined up and then the new year, it's going to be a lot, as much weekend warrior stuff as we can. I mean, obviously we all have full-time jobs, so we can't do like real deal touring, but you know, we, we are absolutely resolved to play as much as we can to wherever we can go. That's for sure. Well, that's great. And um, I, I love hearing how excited you are about this. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool just to hear that alone. Thank you. Um, uh, but I don't know, Mike. I think that I think that about does it for this. Uh, we we hit the hour mark. Uh, you've been awesome. Heck yeah. Um, Thank you. I, I don't, do, we, do you feel like we missed anything here? Uh, no. I mean, to be honest with you, you got to put a cap on me, dude, because I'll I'll talk forever <laughs> about hardcore. You know no, okay. I mean? hey, I'll, I'll talk your for hours. Let's do one last thing. Can you tell people where they can? get if they want a physical copy of uh of the cd where can they get that at absolutely so if you go to numeralityzine.com and you can go through his online store at store envy you can get it there you can get it at the numerality zine band camp uh you can get it through the become one band camp um and you can get it through the become one big cartel so it is available we have merch bundles with some cool t-shirts and stuff like that and so you know, I know we're in the digital age where people don't necessarily feel the impulse to buy a physical copy, but 
if you do like having a physical piece of art in your hands and not just something that you're listening listening through on technology, you know, we'd love and respect it if you could, you know, spend a few bucks on us. As they should. I don't know any other way to Thank do it, you. but but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm staring at a shelves and shelves full of records and CDs right now. But um, yeah, that's Hell awesome. Yeah, Mike. All right, Mike. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you. Dan, thank you so much for having me, bro. I appreciate you for reaching out and, and being cool enough to have me on the podcast, man. I appreciate what you do. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with Mike. I want to thank him again for coming on. Easily one of my favorite interviews of the year. The song you just heard was False Operative. We talked a little bit about that. That, of course, is off of subsidence. You heard how to go get that. Go get that. All right. That's pretty much going to do it for this episode. I want you to go to Instagram at getting underscore it underscore out underscore podcast and go give that a follow. There's a Facebook page, facebook.com slash getting it out podcast. And there is a Patreon, patreon.com slash getting it out podcast. Sign up for that if you'd like, though I'm not going to twist your arm. Getting it out.net really is right around the corner. Uh, currently doing some finishing touches and I hope you like what you see when it's there. I'm not going to talk about it much anymore until it actually exists. I say that literally every episode for almost 150 episodes, but you know, eventually I won't be able to anymore. So I got to enjoy it while I can. I'm going to end this one with a song from Torchbearer. They're a hardcore band out of the UK. The song is called Frostbite. They got a video for it. You can find that on YouTube. This is Torchbearer. The song is Frostbite. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 